You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Patriots Nation, and welcome to another edition of Patriots Beat here on the CLNS Radio Network. I am your host, Jeff Kane, at Boston Fat Guy on Twitter. Joining me, as always, is Bobby Kravitsky, at Bobby underscore K91. You can find both of us on Twitter. You can find Bobby writing for Bleacher Reports, which is a wonderful site. He also writes, of course, for CLNS Radio. Follow the podcast at, at Patriots Beat. If you have Facebook, www facebook.com slash Patriots Beats or CLNS Fans, which is www.facebook.com slash CLNS Fans or at CLNS Radio. Today's podcast is brought to you by the people over at lynda.com. Go out and challenge yourself today. www.lynda.com slash CLNS for your free 10-day trial. And Linda is spelled L-Y. N-D-A, that's lynda.com. Check them out there. And, of course, we'd be remiss if we forgot about talking about Peak Brew mm, Beer, peakbrewing.com. Lots of stuff to talk about tonight. We begin our Behind Enemy Lines uh, series, which will be a weekly series. Uh, we are going to be doing it with the uh, Dolphins, the Jets, and the Buffalo Bills in the off season. Uh, and we'll start with the Dolphins tonight, and joining us will be Omar Kelly, who, of course, is the NFL beat writer for the South Florida Sun Sentinel. He will talk to us about the Miami Dolphins. We'll get into a little bit of Patriots talk with him, but it was mostly about what the Patriots can expect from the Miami Dolphins. And as things move on, we got plenty of things to do this season as we gear up to the 2015 season. Without further ado, as I talk way too much, I'll bring on Bobby Kravitsky, the man behind the mask. Jeff, you and I have been talking about this Behind Enemy Lines series for a while now. I know how excited the two of us are to unveil that tonight, talk with Omar Kelly. There's a lot of optimism around the AFC East, especially in Miami, and understandably so. So I look forward to talking with Omar. 
Yes, Omar is a phenomenal person to uh, listen to. Uh, you know, read his writing. He's a great writer. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter. Uh, it's at Omar Kelly. And we'll bring him on shortly to talk about uh, the New England Patriots, Miami Dolphins, the NFL, everything that you need to know. But let's get into a little bit of Patriots talk here. Last week, you know what? We had a great show. We really did. Uh, I suggest downloading it. It was uh, one of our highest rated shows we've ever had. Uh, Pete Shepard of, uh, of ESPN New Hampshire joined us, and we got into Deflake A talk. I think it's been beaten to death into a, into a pulp. Uh, you know the the horse has been taken to the glue factory. It's just it's just done, all right. Until uh, it comes out what happens to Tom Brady with his suspension, uh, we're gonna we're gonna kick it off and, and and not talk about there. Let's talk a little bit here about the New England Patriots and their OTAs, which started. Of course, uh, it had been a little while for the Patriots. Uh, they have not had any media availability, but OTAs started uh, this week and. Malcolm Brown, the first-round draft pick uh, of the New England Patriots, got the ceremonial first-round pick pitcher with Jonathan Kraft and Bob Kraft. Let's talk a little bit about the OTAs, my friend. And OTAs, from a big-picture standpoint, they really don't mean all that much. But when you're a rookie transitioning to the NFL, when you're a second- or third-year player, someone along the lines of a Josh Boyce and Aaron Dobson, we know what an important offseason this is for him. This is a huge step in the beginning of that process of, you know, cementing your spot on this roster, carving out your role, what impact you're going to have. It all starts now, and especially for these rookies, these young guys like Malcolm Brown, just getting familiar with your new organization, getting to learn the playbook, study it as much as possible, and learning what instructions, how your coaches want you to operate. Yeah, it'll be very interesting. All rookies were attended uh, at the OTAs except for second-round pick uh, Jordan Richards, who, of course, with NFL rules, he cannot participate in any OTAs until his uh, class from Stanford graduates. What do you think of that rule? I, I've I've never been a huge proponent of that rule. I understand that they want to keep these kids in the college, but it's such a disadvantage when you see a guy like Richards uh, come in and he is basically not allowed to practice with the team. He's going to be behind the eight ball before things even get rolling. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, Jeff, but I believe the Patriots were in the same situation last year with Cameron Fleming. So it's just one. They were. Yeah, and another Stanford grad there to boot. So it's just one of those situations where I agree, like you said, it's hurting the player more than it is helping them, putting them behind the eight ball. So I'd like to see some sort of amendment. Yeah, well, I mean, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, you know, I, I'm not expecting a huge year out of the rookie safety. Uh, as we've talked about, he was a bit of a surprise draft pick, but uh, all the uh, the reports that have come out of the Patriots is that, you know, he, he's one of those four-down players who's willing to work. We'll see what happens uh, moving forward with him. On the last Patriots Beat podcast, we talked a little bit about the defensive back situation and uh, what had happened, and they've kind of turned around, and it's a whole new defensive backfield. Uh, you know, there are not many holdovers. You have Logan Ryan, who's a hold, holdover. Uh, you have uh, Deb McCourty, who's a holdover. And, of course, Super Bowl hero 
Malcolm Butler and uh, Patrick Chung are holdovers. I mean, I'm not going to talk much about Tavon Wilson or, or Nate Ebner. Uh, it, it'll be interesting when they, when all is said and done, exactly what they do in the defensive backfield. We've seen them upgrade, uh, all, you know, the front seven. So maybe that's where we uh, we see them go, really getting after the quarterback and getting a little more pressure than they have in the past. And Jeff. I just have no idea until we see it on the field what to expect from this secondary. It's a largely unproven bunch. Malcolm Butler, is he going to be the guy who made a historic play at the Super Bowl and didn't have much of a career? You know, now we're going to start to see who he actually is as a player, what type of longevity he's going to have <laughs> in the league and what his role is. Byron Fletcher, a guy who some people say he just needed a change of scenery, needed to get out of Philadelphia, that he's a good player who brings versatility to the secondary. We'll see if that's the case or if, you know, he's another swing and a miss in the secondary for Bill Belichick in the Patriots front office. Uh, there's plenty of other guys to look at. Logan Ryan, great first year, including five interceptions. Last year, we heard Matt Chatham on the program. You basically have to ignore that season for him. So he's another unproven guy and... I do expect a Bill Belichick coach secondary to be good at minimizing points, but we're going to have to see how they look on the field, how they are against, you know, premier wide receivers and what type of quality the secondary actually brings to the table. The question that I have that kind uh, has been kicking around my head, um, is this defense what they're going to be? Are they going to be a bend but don't break defense? Kind of a staple of the Bill Belichick uh, defense for, well, the 15-plus 15 15 years that he's been here. They've never got after the quarterback, you know, not really having any huge, you know, 10, 11, 12 sack guys. Uh, we'll see what happens. Is it less is more now with Chandler Jones, Rob Nikovich, and Jabal Sheard? Is it going to be the less is more that you're going to see more out of Chandler Jones because he won't be playing 95% of the snaps. The same can be said with Rob Ninkovich, who, who plays more than anyone on that defensive line. And what do they have in Sheard? Because his first two seasons in the league, he was a very good pass rusher. Is it just a defensive scheme change in, uh, in Cleveland that, that dropped his uh, sack numbers down, his pass rushing numbers down? Or is this a player on the decline? Those are the questions I want to see answered uh, as we get closer to training camp. Well, I do expect the addition of <coughs> Sheard to help out Jones and Ninkovich. You look at these two, especially Ninkovich, who was an Ironman last season and the year before, too, along with Jones. And you just couldn't help but feel like there might be an injury coming, that this might not be sustainable to play these guys over 85% of the snaps over the course of a 16-game season, plus the playoffs, on a team that's consistently going to the AFC Championship. That's just a lot of wear and tear, a lot of mileage. So I'm glad that they addressed it this offseason, bringing in someone who, you know, he's proven that he can get it done. Yes, he struggled last year as he converted to an outside linebacker. And so we're going to have to see how Bill Belichick employs him. Is he just going to be a hand-in-the-ground type pass rusher? Is he going to drop back? and come off the edge, you know, from that linebacker spot. We will see, and it's going to be interesting. But the one thing we can say with certainty is that he will help keep Jones and Ninkovich fresh throughout the season.
did before, but here it is. Our first segment of Behind Enemy Lines will bring in Omar Kelly to talk with us. Well, joining us on the line right now is Omar Kelly. He is the NFL beat writer for the South Florida Sun Sentinel. He covers the Miami Dolphins, and he will kick off our Behind Enemy Lines series, talking a little bit about the Miami Dolphins. Omar, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing excellent. How are you guys doing? I think we're doing pretty good. Doing well, Omar. Let's get right down to it. The Ryan Tannehill contract extension, I think it's fair to say, was met with mixed reactions. What is your take on his new deal? Um, after the full numbers and details of the deal came out, um, it's $95 million. It's really a fully guarantee of $21.5 million and features a four years of, of basically opt-in options for the Dolphins. I have absolutely no problem with the contract. It's basically, I consider it and, and call it an engagement uh, with uh, 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 you're engaged. The Dolphins asked, asked Ryan Tannehill to marry them. Uh, the date is set two years from now in March of 2017. And ultimately, if he's worth $18 million in 2017, uh, the Dolphins will opt into the contract. If he's not, they're going to cut him and, and get $18 million worth of cap space. So it's, a, it's really a simple solution for them. Um, you get a two-year tryout, paying $3.5 million more than you you would have with the fifth year option that you already committed to earlier this month. And if it works out and it pans out, you have four years of his contract for seventeen or eighteen or nineteen million dollars, uh, which is pretty much the going rate for what those kind of caliber quarterbacks are, are, are being paid right now. I love the analogy about a a uh engagement there, but uh the Dolphins and Joel Philbin have been married now for three years, going on their fourth season here. Back-to-back eight-and-eight eight seasons for uh, the Miami Dolphins. Is it safe to say that Philbin is on the hot seat? Um, it, it, it should be safe to say Philbin's on the hot seat. However, I, I, I thought he would have been fired probably two years ago. I thought he was certainly going to be fired last year. And the one thing that, that's that's very hard for you to understand about um, Steve Ross is that he firmly and fully believes in continuity. He believes that that's the best way for you to have a, a productive NFL um, organization. And just looking at the organizations that they have had success over the years, they've had continuity and stability. Um, and the one thing that he doesn't want to do is to continue to have so much changeover and turnover and regime changes. Unfortunately, he's had he's had that, um, but he just didn't feel like Joe Philbin. Uh, deserve to be fired for a, a back-to-back eight and eight season. Now, the one thing he has said is this year he expects to see a winner. This year he expects to see an organization that's competing, if not makes it to the playoffs, and and, and that's really the bar. So if if Joe Philbin doesn't produce a winning season, am I confident that he won't be retained? Pretty much, but I never say never with Steve Ross. One player who may help push the Dolphins over the top and into the playoffs is rookie Devontae Parker. He is earning rave reviews for his work at OTAs. I know it's early, Omar, but what have you seen from Miami's first-round pick? It's way too early. Um, It's ridiculously too early. It was one practice. He caught three passes on Brent Grimes, a Pro Bowl cornerback, who was really uh, uh, in, in March practice, not August practice mode. Um, the rookie had a lot to prove, and he went out there and he caught three passes. One of them was a very contested ball that Brent Grimes eventually got a pass interference for. 
um, that Devontae's still caught. And the one thing that's very clear is that he catches everything with his hands. He's got a large catch radius, and it's tough to dislodge the ball out of his hands. Uh, he's got decent size. That's the one thing that you can say with certainty. But does that mean that he's going to be a productive NFL receiver? Does that mean that he's not going to telegraph his routes? Does that mean that, that, that he's, he's, he's going to have durability and, and, and not have the same issues that he had at Louisville? I have absolutely no idea. But for right now, what I'm safely can say is that he looks like a first-round pick. Well, definitely Parker seems to be, uh, you know, part of a beefing up of the offensive skill positions for yeah. the Miami Dolphins, um, especially with uh, Jordan Cameron and, of course, Kenny Stills, who was acquired in a trade with the New Orleans Saints. Um, they've definitely beefed up across the offensive uh, side of the ball, but I got a question for you. Last year, Ryan Tannehill was sacked 46 times, almost three times a game. Has the offensive lineup improved enough to make the athletes what they can be? You know, that that's still to be seen and probably is the main criticism that I have about the off season. Not only did it not improve, but it kinda got worse. Um when when you basically uh, jettison two veterans that were productive starters and and uh, a a key backup in, in, in uh Nate Garner, um you get rid of Darren College, you don't resign him, he's retiring, you cut Shelly Smith and what that does is it, 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 it they don't, they don't resign Sansa Satelli, the center. And what that does is it props up veteran, it props up the young players, Billy Turner and Dallas Thomas, and puts them in starting positions. Unfortunately, some of those players make me a little bit uh, uh, nervous just from the standpoint, Billy Turner, has played 23 snaps in his NFL career. Um, that he was on the roster all season last year, a third-round pick in, in 2014, and the Dolphins didn't feel confident enough in his ability to put him out there on the field, even though they had need. Now, Dallas Thomas is a guy who he was on the field. He was that utility guy. He started at three different positions, left guard, right guard, and then he eventually started at right tackle. He did not give up a sack as a guard. However, there were multiple plays where he was a problem, a, a, a challenge, a compromise to pocket. And then in, his, in, in nine starts, he did allow seven sacks. Now, a lot of them came in bunches, but he did allow seven sacks in nine starts. So it clearly shows that there's room for improvement and he needs to get better. Uh, but the Dolphins are really banking on the fact that Brandon Albert's going to be coming back from a knee injury. They're going to have Mike Pouncey healthy for an entire season. And they're, they're, they, they feel like they should be able to have a respectable offensive line considering three first rounders are going to be on it. And Brandon Albert, Mike Pouncey, and, and Juwan James. Now, uh, I, I, I can tell you that three players don't make a line, but we'll, we'll see how, how it, how it pans out. And moving things over to the defensive side of the ball, the Delvin spent over 100 M's on Indomitian and Sue to bring the big fella to Miami. He's going to help shore up a run defense that ranked 20th in rushing yards per game. He's going to allow the linebackers to drop back in pass coverage, which is sure to help out the secondary. But his presence also makes opposing offenses more inclined to neutralize him and the rest of that Miami pass rush with a quick passing attack, something specifically the Patriots like to do. How does the Dolphins counter that? Because it's going to be a major factor, Omar, in their ability to win games this season. Um, the quick passing attack, I mean, I think Indomitian Sue certainly helps the run. Um, if you, if you, the, their problem was defending the quick passing attack. Their problem was defending the run last year. So if it makes the Patriots throw the ball more, I, I think it'll sort of play into their strengths or who they hoped and believed that they are. 
Um, in terms of the quick passing attack, they, they're replacing uh, Jimmy Wilson with uh, Bryce McCain, who was a starter for the Pittsburgh Steelers last year. Uh, he looks like he's going to be an upgrade, very athletic, very um, seemingly physical cornerback, very fluid in his movement. Um, and, and then um, they've got some young players in Jamar Taylor and, and Will Davis and Michael Thomas and, and guys that they draft like Bobby, Bobby McCain and, and uh, Tony Lippett, who are young players that they hope will trend up, improve, get better, and, and, and be able to um, become effective. But if you watch the defense last year, there, there's really a, a, a delineation uh, between when they were good and when they weren't good. When, when they were headed into that Detroit game uh, late in the season, and it was a fourth-quarter loss, they lost on the final play because of the defense, um, they suffered a couple of injuries. Um, as a team, they suffered a couple of injuries. And in that Detroit game, they went into that game number five on, in, in, in total defense, number five in rushing defense. And then they lost that game, and it was just a spiraling downhill um, the, the, the rest of the season against the Baltimore Ravens, again, um, Minnesota Vikings, and, and, and they just circled the drain. Um, and a lot of that had to do with the injuries that they were enduring or, or, or trying to compensate for. And one of those key injuries was Lewis Dalmas, who is right now five months into an ACL rehab and is already back on the practice field participating in the OTA. So they're optimistic that getting Lewis back, he's a guy who serves as the glue of that defense, he's a guy who serves as a leader of that team, one of the leaders of that team, will help them solidify uh, that, that secondary and overall defense. Omar, you uh, mentioned earlier that Stephen Ross is expecting a winner this year. We touched on the contract given to Ryan Tannehill and, of course, uh, and Dominick Sue getting the $100 million. It looks like from the outside looking in that the Dolphins have pushed some money into the 2016 salary cap, kind of pushing the chips to the center of the table uh, to try to get a championship this year. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, I disagree. Uh, I see more of a youth movement. I think what you might be seeing is is the fact that they've got two players on their roster who are making quarterback money, um, and then Dominican Sue and now um, Ryan Tannehill, and that's just a product of uh, the, the the nature of the league. When you've got guys that are paying being paid upper echelon high end quarterback, you know high end quarterback salaries, um, you're going to have to cut nickel and dime in other areas. And there are a lot of young players like a Bailey Turner, like a Dallas Thomas, who are being um, placed into starting positions or more prominent roles because uh, the team can't afford to re-sign a veteran or afford to keep a veteran or have to purge the roster. So, you know, I really don't see an all-in approach. I do see some financial issues in 2016, but a lot of that could be rectified by restructuring some of, you know, some of uh, Indomitian Sue's base salary into a, into a roster bonus. Um, that's not a big deal, but are the Dolphins at or over the 150 projected cap for 2016? Certainly, but uh, that doesn't really indicate whether or not they're taking an all-in approach in my mind. I think an all-in approach means you go out and you trade, you do whatever you need to do to make your team better from, from top to bottom, um, expecting a title run, and that's not what I saw the Dolphins do this offseason. Speaking of Miami's search for an infusion of young talent, I asked you earlier about Devontae Parker. What is your feelings on how Miami did at the draft overall? 
I thought they had a very productive and efficient draft. Uh, I think the only surprise was the pick of uh, Jordan Phillips, who uh, nobody really thought the defensive tackle was a, a, a definite need. But Jordan Phillips um, was a top 50 rated talent in the draft. He was there for the Dolphins sitting at 52. And even though it wasn't a position of need, they, they went there and snatched him. But Devontae Parker wasn't a player that they expected to be there uh, when they made their selections. He was. They were very fortunate. Um, and then based on the, the draft analyst that I really believe in and, and that I think is, is, is the best in the industry, uh, the Dolphins landed six of their seven draft picks were top 150 prospects in the draft. And the one guy, Cedric Thompson, that, that wasn't in, in the 100, top 150. Um, he's one of my favorite players. He was on my man crush list for, 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 <laughs> for, 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 for draft prospects. Um, so I think they did fairly well. I mean, getting a talent like Jay Ajayi, who most people said was arguably, was, con, you know, consistently viewed as a top five back in the draft who fell because of knee issues. That, that had to, to, you know, that had to do wonders for them just because one, not only is he a talented player, but two, he added a dimension to the running game that was missing from last year. Excellent. That's, uh, I actually believe that the Dolphins had the best draft in the AFC East. Switching things up a little bit here because we are a Patriots show. The uh, New England Patriots are in the midst of the uh, deflate gate allegations and uh, the Ted Wells report. And of course, Wells did become famous a couple of years ago with the bullying scandal uh, in Miami. Yeah. In your in your view, is Ted Wells a neutral voice? He is a neutral voice, but he is a hired gun sent there to investigate a wrong. Like you view him as a police detective, he's investigating the crime. He's not the judge and the jury. He's he's the he's, he's the, the the prosecutor, and he's going to make the best case. Uh, he's not neutral. He's going to make the best case against you, and the NFL is going to determine whether or not um, you're guilty and whether or not a punish is is is, is whether or not uh, what punishment is merited for for your your crime. And for those who don't know, you know, the Miami went through a 182 report. I'm I'm well aware of Ted Wells's work, and a lot of it is based on text history from back, people back and forth. I mean, I read the bully, bully gate scandal, um, covered cover, read his work, have a great deal of respect for his work because it was very thorough, but it was basically a hundred pages of tech people's texts back, back and forth with each other. So do I understand if upon wise counsel, Tom Brady didn't feel like he should cooperate and give his text history over to Ted Wells. I absolutely understand. Um, but I also believe that when you do not fully cooperate, and that is determined as for not fully cooperating, you are opening yourself up to the penalties and the punishments of not fully cooperating. I I thought that the punishments were a little bit severe when they, when I initially heard them. Um, I felt two games for Tom Brady was fair. I felt a second round pick w- w- was 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 definitely a fair and reasonable punishment for what the Patriots did. Um, what I did not expect was four games and a first and a fourth. Um, that seemed a little bit severe, but I can understand because the NFL was trying to send a message to the rest of the league and to their fan base, um, which is consistent with the message that they've sent on just about every knee-jerk reaction that they've had. They are going to wield the hammer and swing it around, and when you do something wrong, you're going to pay the price and the penalty, and the Patriots did something wrong. Do you think, a follow-up question here, do you think that uh... – Tom Brady and the NFLPA have a chance to have this 
suspension reduced or rescinded? I think it'll be reduced. I've always thought it would be reduced from the standpoint you do not have any smoking gun. The best thing that you can you can you can knock Tom Brady for is that he was unwilling and uncooperative, and that 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 alone, in my mind, gives you a two-game suspension. But um, you, you don't have a smoking gun, and in fact, I've talked to a lot of quarterbacks who openly admit, yeah, they, they've worked with their ball boys about doctoring balls and, and rigging balls, and they like this and they like that, but none of them, and I'm talking about seven quarterbacks, had any idea that there was a PSI level associated with the ball. So who's to say that Tom Brady knew as well? But now if he did know that there were these trainers were going inside a bathroom or a private stall or someplace and, and taking air out of balls, then – then, then you know certainly it it it's it's cause for concern, but I, I'm not going that far. And, and and truth be told, in the NFL, and I firmly do believe this, and this is the, I'm not creating this. It doesn't come out of nowhere. Um, if you're not cheating, you're not trying. In, in, in not only just football, but in professional sports, um, you try to get any little edge that you can, whether it's not whether you're putting a kicking ball near a heater or not. Um, you're trying to get any little edge that you can, and if you're spraying spam on your jersey as an offensive lineman, you're trying to get every little edge that you can. And you know what? Play the game within the rules, but if you are caught um, stretching the rules or, 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 or trying to you know, get, a, get an edge that might be illegal, do your time, do your punishment, and, and keep it moving. I hear you, Omar. I said the same thing on the program last week. Now, with all that's gone on this offseason in New England and in Miami, how much do you believe the Dolphins have closed the gap on the Patriots? And are you willing to go as far as saying they've pulled even with New England? Nah, I'll probably never say that until Tom Brady retires. Um, I've just seen Tom Brady. They have split the series the past couple of years. But, you know, Miami's issue is that they finish the season poorly every year. Um, and I don't think I don't think they'll ever catch up the Patriots, who finish the season superbly every year, until they finally figure out how to finish fourth quarter games and how to finish the season. It's just it's just something that 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 that's um, uh, uh, that that's been a riddle that cannot be solved by two different, three different coaching staffs. And you know they gave away fourth quarter leads against. Um, Green Bay gave away fourth quarter leads against the Lions, gave away fourth quarter lead against Denver. And if you hold on to those three games, you're talking about an 11, 11 win season. Um, you finish the season by not laying a, you know, by not laying a turd against the Jets, you might be talking about a 12 win season. Good teams maximize those opportunities. That's what the Patriots do, whether it's deflated balls or not. They find a way to play great <laughs> in, in the second half and in the fourth quarter of the season. And the Dolphins do not. And until they do that, I, I really don't see them challenging the Patriots for AFC East supremacy. Well, Omar Kelly, NFL beat writer for the South Florida Sun Sentinel, thank you so much for joining CLS Radio's Patriots Beat Podcast. We hope to have you on again this season when the Patriots line up against the Dolphins. Not a problem, man. Thanks, my friend. Always good there, Bobby, to discuss another team from a person who has the knowledge of their team, the way that uh, most of the Patriots beat writers around here uh, have knowledge of their team. Omar Kelly, uh, just a phenomenal guest tonight, really brought a uh, inside look into what the Miami Dolphins are going to bring this year. Uh, what do you think uh, was your standout moment from Omar? 
Yeah, you know, there was a lot of great insight there from Omar. And one of the things that I really liked that he touched on was the inconsistencies of this Dolphins team last season. You know, they kind of, they were a bit sporadic where you'd see stretches of very impressive play, helps them finish in the top six in pass defense. And there was also some very rough stretches. Once again, a collapse in the final month of the season where had they been able to finish strong, they would have gotten to the playoffs. Instead, they didn't. And it had many people calling for Joe Philbin's head. Instead, he's given another chance. We heard Omar talk about owner Jeffrey Ross being someone who favors consistency and continuity. And quite frankly, those are hallmarks you need in order to be successful in the NFL. Yeah, I think they can do uh, no wrong by just looking up Route 95, uh, you know, and, and 1,800 miles to the north, and you see the New England Patriots who have had continuity at the head coach position for 16-plus years. Teams that keep their coaching staff together, uh, keep the same people together, and, and ride out the good years and the bad are the teams that, you know, can go around and win in the NFL. If you take a look at, you know, what's happening uh, in some of the longer-tenured coaches in the NFL, it's hard to believe that Marvin Lewis uh, has been with the Cincinnati Bengals for so long. But they stuck with him, and, and the Bengals, while they haven't really won in the playoffs, they've been getting to the playoffs. And you remember the, the Cincinnati Bengals in the 90, 90s and early 2000s, uh, you know, they were a, a, a doormat. You go back and look at the New England Patriots. You know, after Raymond Berry was uh, was let go in uh, in a 5-11 and season, they brought... Rod Russ in, and, and he goes 1-15, and 15, and then Syracuse's own Dickie Mack comes in, uh, a 6-10 and 10 season in, in 1991, and, and we're jumping for joy around here. Uh, you know, we're, we're expecting that this is just going to get get better, and of course, uh, Dickie McPherson uh, ended up getting sick uh, in the 1992 season. The Patriots finished 2-14, and 14, uh, and they hire uh, Bill Parcells, and, and the rest is history. Uh, but you look at these teams that Stick with you know a coach. Uh, you know, look at look at what's happened in uh, the Giants, the New York Giants. They've they've stuck with Tom Coughlin, uh, and, and they've been rewarded with two Super Bowl championships. There was there was times where Tom Coughlin could have been out the door at any any time. Uh, Mike Tomlin in Pittsburgh, he's had some down years, but he's won a Super Bowl. He's been to you know he's been to Super Bowls. Uh, same can be said in Baltimore, where the Baltimore Ravens have. Won, won a Super Bowl under uh, Harbaugh, but they've had some bad seasons as well. In New England, we haven't had the bad seasons. It's an aberration. But I think that uh, the Miami Dolphins, if they stick with uh, Stephen Ross, it's a, it's, a, it's a very good thing for them. Listen, Joe Philbin, 7-9 his first year at 8-5 and in 2013, just needing to win one game after they beat the Patriots. They just needed to win one game, and they would have made the playoffs. They didn't. And then last year, of course, same thing. They they, they collapsed, as Omar said. Uh, so I do believe that this is a make-or-break year. And, you know, far be it for me to say um, that I believe that the Dolphins are kind of pushing all the chips into the table. Uh, on the outside looking in, uh, that's what I believe. Now, Omar covers this team day in and day out, and I will respect his opinion that he sees a little bit of a youth movement as well. Uh, but it was interesting to see the inside look on what uh, what is going on there in Miami when when you know being a Patriots fan looking in seeing Endomic and Sue and seeing that his salary cap hit next year is 27 million 
And then you have Ryan Tannehill, whose cap hit next year is going to be pretty high. Uh, I look at it and say, oh, they're in trouble. But as he said, you know, next year the salary cap's going to be about $150 million. Uh, a restructuring can happen. So it'll be interesting to see how the Miami Dolphins move on. Now, we're going to talk next week about the New York Jets, but continuing on the Miami Dolphins thought right here, do you feel they are a legitimate threat to take the crown from the New England Patriots? I don't know if they're a threat to win the division. We'll have to see how it looks on the field, what type of impact Indomitian Sue makes on the defense as a whole. Like you said, how the offensive line holds up. There's still a lot of question marks surrounding this team, not to mention the track record, like we talked about with Omar, of Joe Philbin collapsing down the stretch You know, in that fourth quarter of the season. So we'll see if they can shake that or not. And you look at this team's schedule, and it is imperative that they hit the ground running this season. They've got two games on the road to start at Washington, at Jacksonville. If they can take care of business there and then follow it up, at least splitting two home games against division rivals, Buffalo and New York, that's impressive for them going into the bye week. Then you get Tennessee and Houston. But then you finish the season, you're going to be tested. Division game against the Jets. You've got the Cowboys, the Eagles, the Ravens. You finish with the Patriots. Before that, the Colts and the Chargers. So it's really important that Miami attacks the first half of the season and has a fair amount of success, and then that they're able to do better than you know, just their trademark these last several seasons, which has been collapsing down the stretch. And the one thing that I didn't ask Omar, which I kind of wish that I did, is, is the fact that uh, you know, the Dolphins spent a lot of money a couple off-seasons ago going out and getting Mike Wallace, going out and getting Denard Ellerby, and, and, and they jettisoned all those guys this year. You know, so you look at it and say, you know, is, that, is that the way to go? Uh, are they making a mistake in bringing in Dominican Sue in? Certainly he you know, beefs up an interior line, and he's a, a phenomenal uh, pass rusher. Uh, but he was neutralized last year. As you said, with the Patriots going quick offense, he was neutralized last year. And while I do believe the Miami Dolphins cornerbacks are a hell of a lot better than what uh, the Detroit Lions put out there, I could see the Patriots being able to move the ball on uh, on the Miami Dolphins. Yeah, it seems to me that not only did Miami spend big money on what was already a strength of theirs, but there's this pattern throughout the division because the understanding is that the best way to get to Brady is <coughs> with pressure from your front four, especially if you can get it up the middle. So I understand splurging on a player of Sue's caliber, getting a superstar, and not to mention one who addresses the weaknesses of the best quarterback in the division. But it also, like I asked Omar, just pushes into the Patriots' strengths, which is, like we saw in the playoffs, that lethal quick-passing offense of theirs. So it's one of those situations I liken it to with the NBA playoffs going on right now, Jeff. If you watch Steph Curry play, one of the things that makes him so good is that he is comfortable taking the shots the defense forces him into. Well, Tom Brady, yes, there's the Giants who beat him in the Super Bowl, but that's one team. There's been a lot of other opponents who have tried to attack the Patriots, attack Brady by getting after him with pressure from their front four. And largely, it has not worked. Even when it's affected Brady, the offense has still found a way to overcome it and win games. 
They have. They have overcome it, and they have win games, uh, won games. Uh, they overcame it last year, twice. Twice, uh, in the AFC Divisional Playoffs and, of course, in the Super Bowl. Uh, we remember Michael Bennett absolutely eating up the interior. Uh, Brady was in a zone last year in the in the playoffs. He really was in an absolute zone uh, and, and was able to you know, bring – I mean, look back at this. Two 14-point deficits against the Baltimore Ravens, and, and they came back and won that game. And then a 10-point deficit with just over 10 minutes to go in the Super Bowl. No team had ever come back from 10 points down in a Super Bowl that late in the game. And Brady puts them on their, on his back and, and wins the game. Now, granted, they needed a defensive stop at the end, which uh, you know they weren't able to get in Super Bowl 42. Uh, and, and we look back, and yes, the Patriots only scored 14 points in Super Bowl 42. But Brady scored a touchdown with a little over two minutes to go uh, in Super Bowl 42, throwing a touchdown pass um, you know, to Randy Moss that made it 14-10. to 10. So Brady has come up at times. The defense has failed him uh, a couple times in the, in the playoffs. And he failed himself and his receivers failed himself in Super Bowl 46. Uh, you know, if his pass to Wes Welker that was dropped was a uh, you know an inch or two inside that's caught it's a touchdown game over Super Bowl 46 champions uh, unfortunately that didn't happen uh, but you looked at last year and that entire team very very special so while it's a very different team on the defensive side of the ball moving into the 2015 season Bobby I look at this offense and provided that the offensive line can protect them. Now, they don't have a Dan Connolly right now, uh, but they did go out and make a lot of draft picks on guards. Uh, they still have Ryan Wendell. Brian Stork will be moving into his second year. Uh, I'm excited about what will happen, but just as my question to Omar Kelly about the Dolphins' offensive line, I wonder about the Patriots' interior offensive line, especially against the AFC East, which has some really good defenses of course, we talked about the Dolphins. We'll be talking about the Jets next week. Their defense is very good, and, and, and of course, Buffalo—they're going to—they had a great defense last year. And now you're bringing in Rex Ryan. So uh, in two weeks, we'll be talking about the Buffalo Bills. So let's see what happens as things move forward. And Jeff, for some of the reasons you alluded to, the offensive line is my biggest concern with this Patriot team. You know, the secondary might—you know—it might be more of a question is in terms of what you're going to get, but there's also a lot of trust in Bill Belichick on that side of the ball and a strong history of regardless of the quality of talent back there, being able to limit opponents and minimize points allowed. So this offensive line, you don't have Skarnekia. You don't really have, you know, you lose a captain in Dan Connolly, who was also a calming presence for Nate Solder. So if he's not brought back, we'll have to see how that impacts your left tackle, and I'm really intrigued to see how Shaq Mason and Trey Jackson perform two yes. players that really impressed in college, both very strong in the run game, but we're going to have to see how they translate to the NFL, not to mention the fact that they're now on a team that is pass-heavy. Exactly, and you look at a guy like Shaq Mason, who is a phenomenal run blocker, uh, and we talked a couple weeks ago um, with Mike Loiko on whether or not that the either Shaq Mason or Trey Jackson could play left guard as 
they both uh, you know, had been primarily right guards uh, in college. I'm looking at it now, the more that I've gone back and looked at some of the uh, film on both these players, I see Shaq Mason sliding into that right guard spot uh, you know, next to uh, Brian Stork and next to uh, or in between Brian Stork and uh, Vollmer and, and, and providing a very strong side uh, to run to. And then on the other side, on the on the left side, that's where they're going to put their their tight end, uh, Rob Gronkowski or or Chandler. And, and I can see uh, Ryan Wendell playing that left guard spot next to Nate Soldier, and, and then having Trey Jackson work his way in. And I wouldn't be surprised to see Cameron Fleming get some uh, time at guard. We'll see what happens there. Uh, it's a moving piece. We are in May right now. Uh, we're just a just under two months away from the opening of training camp. Lots is going to be decided here uh, for the New England Patriots. Lots will be decided on Patriots beat. Uh, I'd like to kind of close the show up now here, Bobby, but uh, I got a couple announcements I'd like to make uh, before I close the show up. Um, number one is uh, thank you to all our fans. Um, as I said earlier today, uh, last week's Patriots beat podcast uh, is our best Patriots beat podcast to date. Uh, thank you to Omar Kelly for coming on tonight. A phenomenal job. Uh, next week we'll be joined uh, by a New York Jets uh, beat writer. Uh, we'll announce that uh, right there. And, uh, of course, um, so the big news uh, actually for myself, um, Bobby, of course, a couple weeks ago uh, was brought on by Bleacher Reports. Bobby, congratulations. Thank you, Jeff. I appreciate that. It's been Almost two months now, and I'm very appreciative to Bleacher Report for the opportunity. Love getting to write for them, covering the NBA and the NFL. It's a great thing. I myself um, have signed on with SportsRants.com, very big site there, uh, to cover the NFL as a whole. Um, I suggest you check out SportsRants.com. I'll be covering the NFL as a whole and also uh, working with the good people over at uh, Patriots Football Central. Uh, going to be covering the Patriots to them as well. And, of course, you will always find my stuff here on CLNS Radio. Um, but thank you from the bottom of my heart to everyone who, uh, you know, picks up their phone or their tablet or, or their laptop and, and reads, um, you know, my work, reads my, my beat team work here on CLNS Radio. Thank you very much. And, and anyone who, you know, it just picks up their cell phone and, and, and downloads this podcast. It's, it's a passion for Bobby and I, and, and we appreciate it. Yeah, this show is nothing without its listeners, and so we certainly appreciate the fans as well as the people who give us suggestions on things they want to hear on the program. You know, we recently had former Patriot Henry Thomas heard us talking about him, comparing him and Dominique Easley, and he was touched by that and gave a shout-out on Twitter. So we're appreciative to all our listeners and everyone who has helped make this show success possible. Exactly. So for Bobby Kravitsky, I am Jeff Kane, and this has been another Patriots Beat. We'll see you guys on the flip side.
Internet Sports Talk Radio, CLNS Radio.